Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It is Tuesday, the 19th of October. You know, I want to I lead off with the most important question of the day. Where in the word are you today? I was reminded over the weekend um, that not everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say that. So where in the word are you today? Where are you in your reading and study of the word of God, the Bible? Where in the word are you? I am in Psalm 143. I am also in Revelation chapter 6. We're going to get to those in just a second. But the where in the word are you today question has uh, a second meaning as well. And that is the question about where are you in the one who is the word? Where are you uh, in Christ? Where are you in terms of abiding in Christ today? Where are you in him? Hanging on his every word, looking to him, considering him, counting on him. Where in the Word are you today? And if you are anywhere else but in the Word, made flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. Yeah, I'm talking about Jesus. If you are anywhere other than in Christ, then let me encourage you to um, stop and consider Him. Don't just look at Him. Look to Him. Don't just wonder about Him. Wonder at Him. Consider Jesus. Psalm 143 uh, reads in part, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy has pursued my soul, crushed my life to the ground, made me sit in the darkness Therefore, my spirit faints within me and my heart grows appalled. And then I remember the days of old and I meditate. I meditate on all that you have done and I ponder the work of your hands. And I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. No, Lord, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for I trust in you. Make me know the way I should go. For to you, I lift up my soul. Deliver me. O my Lord, from my enemies, I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Where in the word are you today? That was Psalm 143. We're going to proceed in our conversations this morning, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. But of first order, of first order, be in the word of God before we attempt to go out into the world that he so loves. Next up, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. 
We're going to survey some of the headlines of the day, including including the news about the death of Colin Powell. We'll be right back. Caleb Smith is back from Cedarville University. Welcome back, sir. Hey, Carmen. How are you doing today? I am. I am well. I am well. Let's uh, let's talk about Colin Powell. Um, I I would just describe him as one who lived his life with such dignity and purpose. Um, and so I was just I was thinking today that it would be good to reflect um, with you about him. Yeah, and I think dignity and purpose is a is a good description. Uh, he's also one of the few figures in American politics of the last couple of generations, really, that managed to transcend a lot of the partisan division. Uh, he's always very popular amongst uh, the American people. And, of course, there was discussion of him even running for the presidency, potentially, at some point. Uh, but quite a you know a glittering resume, 35 years in the Army, National Security Advisor, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Secretary of State, uh, you know, resumes don't get much better than that in American government uh, outside of the president. Um, so mm. a really impressive person. I had a lot of effect on the military. And I, I think <clears throat> when people, especially people who are younger, they probably fail to understand how important he was uh, in restoring American confidence in the military. Mm. Uh, you know, in the 1990s, we were still suffering the wounds of Vietnam. And when the Iraq war happened... Uh, it wasn't necessarily a given that this would be an easy conflict and that America would uh, would win so decisively. Uh, but there's Powell, you know, leading the way and becoming a, a household figure in the process and putting forward a remarkable result in Iraq and really catapulting himself into, uh, you know, like I said, that American consciousness, which is which is just incredible. Uh, an interesting guy, politically, militarily. Uh, socially, historically, just a very interesting figure. Yeah, we're going to talk later um, this morning with Justin Gibney and let him reflect as well as an African-American in terms of, you know, growing up with uh, with Colin Powell as such an important, dignified figure um, in terms of of representing for uh, for an emerging generation of black men in particular, um, but for everyone as well, um, just just what that meant for him to serve, for Colin Powell to serve as the first um, African-American mm-hmm. secretary of state. And, and just, you know, he just, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, like, I I had tremendous personal confidence in him as a man. Like, I just, he was just yeah. one of those people that I just didn't doubt. And that is rare today. Well, and he was he was always willing to speak his mind and he even took unpopular positions sometimes. So you never were really suffering under the illusion that he was just being purely political. And, you know, maybe his willingness to speak his mind is what ultimately kept him out of the presidency. Um, he comes out as pro-choice. He supports affirmative action. Uh, and as a potential Republican nominee, those things just simply weren't going to work uh, in the Republican primary at that point. But he was who he was, like you said. He, you knew exactly where he was coming from. 
a tremendous amount of integrity, a tremendous amount of confidence. Um, and, you know, we will write about him and talk about him for quite some time, but that integrity and confidence got him into trouble at one point, right? I mean, when he went before the United Nations and sold the second Iraq war based on faulty intelligence, it was his integrity that was able to sell that. Now, again, I, I don't think he knew it was faulty, so you have to be clear about that. Um, and he regrets all of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think a tremendous human being. And if you look at his beginnings, very humble. You know, this is a guy who went to City College of New York and did ROTC there. So we're not talking West Point. We're not talking about Ivy League. Uh, we're talking about a guy from the South Bronx, uh, Jamaican descent, who rises to the top of, of the American military and eventually nearly the top of the American government. It's, you know, as he called his autobiography, The American Story. I think that's a pretty good description of it. Uh, a remarkable human being. No question about it. So uh, as we're remembering Colin Powell today, you know, let's remember his parents, Luther and Maud. Let's remember his um, his wife. Uh, let's remember his children. Let's remember his grandchildren. And I say all of that because that's apparently the way he wanted to be remembered in death. Um, he wanted his eulogy to um, to be about who he was as a man to his family. Um, even as he was certainly a man who lived so well and served so valiantly, all of us uh, who are Americans, um, he wanted to be um, first remembered for who he was as a son and a husband and a father and a grandfather. And that speaks volumes about him as well. Mark Caleb Smith and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Um, I'm going to ask him about apparently the ab work <clears throat> that the Democrats need to be doing. He describes it as crunch time. All right, that's up next for our Mornings with Carmen. I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places. All right, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith and I are going to talk about the morning workout. Uh, it is apparently crunch time for the Dems. I got to tell you, Mark, when I saw the word crunch time uh, in my notes for today, I thought, now I could stand at the mic and do standing abs while you're talking. <laughs> so there you go. We have a little standing ab workout while uh, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith talks us about Dems hitting crunch time. Carmen, you are incredibly multifaceted, and I, I appreciate that about you, no question. Don't interrupt me. My no hands are question. behind my head, and I'm pulling my <laughs> knees up to my chest, and I'm twisting while you're talking. Go. So... It's crunch time, I think, because the Democrats are running out of time to get significant legislative accomplishments done. Um, if, you, if you think of presidents historically, they generally are the most powerful during their first year in office. Their popularity is at its height. Uh, they sort of have the political winds at their back. Uh, the public is somewhat supportive, maybe, of their agenda. And their party wants to see them succeed because it's good for the party when the president succeeds. Well, Joe Biden, you know, when we look at his goals as president, he wanted to address COVID, and you can argue the extent that he's done that, but he at least passed legislation about it. He wanted to address climate change. He wanted to address infrastructure, and he certainly wanted to expand the social safety net. Uh, Democrats have really been trying to expand uh, you know, for 75 years now. And other than COVID, everything else is kind of jammed up in the legislative process. Um, and, and according to the timeline we're looking at and what we're hearing from the Hill, uh, really the next two weeks are critical. 
Uh, if Democrats can't put together some compromise on the infrastructure bill and some compromise on the so-called Build Back Better plan, uh, then Biden really runs the risk of seeing his presidency flounder. And uh, that's, that's tough for him. It's tough for the Democrats. Uh, it's tough for gubernatorial campaigns in places like Virginia. Um, and it potentially it means a very difficult midterm election coming up next year uh, when we see all those congressional seats up for grabs. And so, yeah, right now I think is a pivotal moment. And we're going to see what Joe Biden's made of. And I, I have my own thoughts about what he's going to do. We're going to see what he's made of. All right. You should have gotten like, I don't know, 75 or 80 standing crunches in that time if you had a lot of space to work with. Um, I just will confess I was constricted by the space that exists in my in my little studio here. I didn't want to hit the microphone with my elbows and I didn't really want to hit my knees on the uh, on the standing desk. So I was trying to be very quiet in the background. <sighs> You're a only lot of standing your crunches. Only your imagination limits you, Carmen. You can do it. It's I true. It's true. Um, oh, a, a listener texting in. This is a very random question this morning. Very important question. How many cups of apples are in the redemption muffins? Four. <clears throat> so it's good. Sometimes I know the answer to a question immediately, and it's very pleasing to my heart and soul that I can answer with such direct confidence. The answer to your question, friend, is four. Four cups. Well, um, okay. One, one thing we always learn as professors, if you don't know the answer, just pretend like you do. Guy, so, well, I, I actually, it. you know, the redemption muffin recipe is my own, so I happen to know the answer to that particular question. There you All go. Right. Good deal. Um, you can always go to MyFaithRadio.com and type in the word muffin, and the only reference to it on the entire website is the redemption muffin recipe. <clears throat> I know that's a surprise that we only have one muffin recipe on the website, but there you go. Um, uh, now, in a segue about muffin tops, because that's what you're dealing with when you are in crunch time. You are dealing with uh, with that situation. We're talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith in, in what I think will probably be his most surprising interview of the day because this went in a direction he did not expect. Um, what do you expect from President Biden? Because you alluded to the fact that you have some expectations. Sure. I think President Biden is going to have to cut the legs out from either the progressives in his party uh, or the, the moderates in his party. So we're talking about sort of that left-wing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the progressive caucus in the House, uh, versus Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema uh, in the Senate. But I don't think he can really afford, uh, honestly, to cut out the legs from underneath the moderates. Because if he does, there's no chance of getting the 50 votes in the Senate. So I think he's going to put pressure on the progressives, try to force them to compromise and give in on some key areas uh, get those total spending figures down, even though we're still talking about trillions of dollars. Uh, we're talking about the difference between potentially $3.5 trillion or $1.5 trillion, uh, which is clearly a significant difference. And so I think he's going to go hard toward the moderates. Now, you know, Joe Biden, I think when he won the, the primary last year, uh, he won it because he could sell himself as a more pragmatic, more middle-of-the-road, traditional Democratic leader. I think if he governs that way, he'll get significant support. Maybe even, and maybe I'm uh, a little bit naive, but maybe even getting some Republican votes, if he can get those bills uh, adjusted in such a way to appeal to GOP. Now, that's going to rankle his left wing in the party, uh, but I don't know what kind of option he has, because if he if he goes after Manchin and Cinema, uh, I think that really disrupts his agenda for the next 
potentially several years, and I'm just not sure he can afford that. I would, um, I 100% concur. So, um, Will, we and I will continue to watch that unfold, um, and thanks for that analysis. I really uh, want to spend a couple of minutes talking this morning um, about this article that you and I uh, have both have in front of us, and this is about children, and it's about parents, and it's about the state, in particular, the state of California. And the conversation is really about the usurpation of parental rights. Tell people what's going on here and then equip us to argue that, you know what, our children are ours. Well, they're gods and they're a sacred trust to us as parents. Um, They certainly don't belong to the state. Yeah, in California, uh, two things happening right now that potentially interfere with Uh, family rights. Uh, One is the uh, vaccine mandate uh, for students. And so to require to get any kind of in-person learning, uh, children are going to have to be vaccinated. And that's, you know, I think that's going to be a little bit hard for people to swallow when COVID has been really such a a minimal threat uh, to children. What we're seeing in California right now, homeschooling is going up dramatically. Uh, In response to this, the enrollment in public schools is declining throughout the COVID period. And I I expect that sort of trend to continue because of this. Uh, The other big thing we've seen is the passage of AB 1184, uh, which is a really, you know, for me and you, a shocking piece of legislation, I think. Uh, For people in California, probably not so much. Uh, But this bill prohibits insurance companies from disclosing to policyholders, let's be clear, this would be parents, from disclosing to parents, uh, when minors undergo so-called sensitive services. And this would include things like mental health, reproductive health, gender-affirming care, hormone therapy, and things along those lines. So parents would not be notified by insurance companies uh, if their children are going through these processes. You know, I I try my best, Carmen, to be even-handed and to be fair, uh, but this is kind of straight out of the progressive playbook. Uh, A desire to shape and mold children in a way that often separates them from their family. Uh, you know, I think back to Woodrow Wilson, he was president of, of Princeton University back in the day. He said one of his primary jobs was to make sure his students were as unlike their fathers as possible. And that's a shocking statement, but I think it's actually pretty descriptive of how we see the progressive mentality often seeping into these kinds of pieces of legislation. And so California is continuing to tilt an extremely progressive direction. All right, uh, praying for you this morning. Uh, those of you who live in California, I met uh, Kevin over the weekend from Escondido. Um, and so, Kevin, I hope you're listening this morning, and or maybe you're listening to the podcast later at MyFaithRadio.com since it's really early out there on the West Coast. Um, we are concerned about what our fellow Americans uh, are subject to um, because all of our kids are, you know, going to be the future leadership of this country, and they're going to be it together. And so, you know, I care about your kids because I care about you and I care about the kingdom. I also care about your kids because I care about my kids, right? And so if if you're saying to yourself this morning, well, that's California, and so I don't live in California, I live in Minnesota, or I live in Connecticut or whatever, um, it's it's not like our uh, state borders aren't porous, like, right? We celebrate that. Uh, You probably crossed a state line in the last couple of days, certainly in the last couple of weeks. Um, And so it's not as if what happens in one state of the union does not affect all the others. And what happens in California in particular certainly does not stay 
in California. So um, thank you, as always, uh, Mark, for your concern, for bringing us the news, for applying the mind of Christ to it. Uh, We look forward to a future conversation with you. Thanks, Carmen. It's always a a pleasure. Take care and uh, take care of your listeners as well. All right, man. Get some ab. Get some ab work in. Standing abs. There we go. Crunch time. All right. That's Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. We'll be right back. I want you to think for a moment about your relationship to the Bible. Your relationship to the Bible. You say to yourself, "I don't know. I have relationships with people. Do I have relationships with things?" I hope so. I hope you have a growing relationship with the Bible. Um, We're going to have a conversation next with John Plake from the American Bible Society, and we're going to talk about the way in which Americans' relationship uh, with the Bible has changed in the last couple of years, particularly under COVID, and how that is affecting us in our neighborhoods and with our neighbors, how that is affecting how we relate to one another in close proximity. So what's your relationship to the Bible? How has it changed in the past year? And how is it affecting you as you engage others? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. When your teen hits a rough patch, you need to understand the implications on the entire household. For instance, dealing with a struggling teen can be hard on your marriage. Really hard. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. A struggling teen can drive a nasty wedge between a husband and wife. So mom, dad, stand up to the pressure that threatens your relationship. Present a united front to your teen and insist that your child treat both of you with respect. Become co-warriors in the cause. Mom, support your husband. Dad, don't whip out on your wife. Two warriors united in battle will keep a child from self-destructing. Let your team know that you're working together for a common cause, a healthy and happy home. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. a difference between identifying as a Christian and actually being a practicing Christian. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning with John Plake from the American Bible Society about the practice of scripture engagement. It's one thing to identify as a Christian. It's another thing to engage in the regular practice, not only of Bible reading, but of Bible study, because it does change how we live. John Plake, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Thank you. I want to delve into the sixth chapter of um, the state of the Bible, which you guys can find if you're listening right now, um, the New American Bible Society study, uh, the state of the Bible. You can find it at thestateofthebible.org. We're going to talk about the sixth chapter today, which is about being neighborly. So, John, tell us um, what you discovered about Scripture engagement when it comes to um you know, the way we live out our faith in the culture. Well, you know, we were kind of intrigued by the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, what, what does it mean to be a neighbor? Who do we really need to be neighborly to? It was a question I think that's kind of come down through the ages. And so we began to ask respondents across America to tell us 
just to begin, how often have you volunteered in your community, but not including your church? How many of you have done that in the last seven days? Or how many of you have helped a stranger in the last seven days, or perhaps donated money to charity? And we put these things together and built a neighboring index out of them. And what we found was that uh, across all of our neighboring index categories, scripture engagement really has a profound effect. In fact, one-third of scripture-engaged Americans say they volunteered in their community outside their church within the last week. Uh, The majority of scripture-engaged Americans say that they've donated money to charity in the last week, that's 56% of them, and that they've helped a stranger. 60% of them have done that within the last week. And not only that, they talk about doing that with some regularity. And so those are really positive signs that people who are deeply connected to God's word and attempting to live it out do that by loving their neighbors. All right, the word um, practice, the word engagement, the word user comes up a lot. Help us differentiate between people who just sort of check the generic box of identifying as Christian when given an option, you know, on a list versus people who actually are engaging the scriptures, reading the Bible, um, and and then this term practicing. Like, can you can you suss that out a little bit for us? Sure, I'd love to. So we all know that many people in America simply say they're Christians because they're Americans. They're not anything else. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're deeply engaged in their faith. And so we use three different ways, three different lenses for looking at this. Uh, The first of them, as you've rightly pointed out, is called being a practicing Christian. Practicing Christians begin by self-identifying as some kind of Christian, whether that's Catholic or Protestant or something else. Um, But the second thing is they need to strongly agree that their faith is very important. It's an important part of their lives. Uh, And the third thing is they need to have attended a religious service, a, a Christian church service, either online or in person, within the last month for something other than a wedding or a funeral. So this isn't a hugely high bar. I think, you know, people who who go to church would think of that as, well, yeah, of course, everybody who's a Christian does that. But in reality, the majority of people in America who self-identify as Christian don't do those three things. And so practicing Christians do them. The second thing you mentioned is Bible users. What's a Bible user? Well, A lot of people in America, in fact, almost everybody who wants a Bible in America has a Bible. The question isn't whether you have a Bible sitting on your shelf. It's do you ever open it? Do you read it? And so we look at Bible users as kind of a low bar. These are people who say that at least three or four times a year they open the Bible and read it. So uh, not a really high bar there. The higher bar comes with Scripture engagement. When we want to talk about somebody who's really engaging with Scripture, we look at three things in their life. The first is how often do they use the Bible? Do they read it, listen to it, uh, however it is that they're engaging with Scripture? Second, we want to ask them whether the Bible has any impact in their lives. And the easiest way to think about that is when they read Scripture, uh, do they get a sense that God is has a message for them in Scripture and is calling them to engage more deeply in their faith, for instance, or to love others? The third area is, do people give the Bible any authority in their lives? Do they really allow the Bible to guide them today, or is it just kind of a history book? And so those three things put together are scripture engagement, people who consistently interact with the Bible in a way that shapes their choices and transforms really their relationships with God, with themselves, and with others. Those people are scripture engaged. And all across pretty much every demographic we've looked at or every 
I guess, dependent variable outcome that we've looked at in, in State of the Bible. Scripture-engaged people are the healthiest, the strongest, the happiest, the most engaged with their neighbors. It's really heartening to see the impact that the Bible has on people's lives. We are talking with uh, with John Plake. We're talking about the state of the Bible. It is uh, it's a study of us uh, Americans who are Scripture engaged, and it's a study of those who are not. Um, we're talking today about the impact that has on us as Christians in the real world. So neighborliness is the subject of the sixth chapter. You can download the first ch- six chapters of. State of the Bible 2021. It's an ebook available at stateofthebible.org. Um, I was really interested, John, um, in in sort of the evidences in real life um, in terms of people who scored high on scripture engagement. And so I'm looking at pages 141 to 147. And in there, I see that people who score highest in scripture engagement are most likely to agree that the Bible leads them to engage our neighbors in particular ways. Can you share some of those? Because I think it's going to be some of those are going to be a surprise to some people listening. Yeah, we laid out uh, six different opportunities for people to say the Bible, uh, the message of the Bible leads me to do some things. The first one was to welcome immigrants into my community. But we really didn't know. Uh, in the current you know, political climate in America, people who are scripture engaged are also in a culture. And so we wanted to know, well, what does the Bible, does the Bible encourage you to welcome immigrants into their community? And the more people engaged with scripture, the more likely they were to affirm that, to say, yes, the Bible encourages me to welcome immigrants into my community. Um, also befriending people of other races or befriending people of other religions. We looked at caring for those who are in prison, at caring for the environment, and advocating for those who are oppressed by society. And in every single case, we look at three segments, those who are Bible disengaged, those who are in kind of the movable middle, they're test driving the Bible, learning about it, maybe growing, and then the scripture engaged. And in every case, the scripture engaged just blew the top off the chart. They scored higher than any other group that we looked at, whether it was practicing or non-practicing Christians or non-Christians, young, old, didn't matter. If they were engaged in Scripture, Scripture came to guide the way they thought about these ways of engaging with others in their community. So this was one of the, uh, I don't know if it was an aha moment, but it was a note that I took, note to self. Um, As a Scripture-engaged person, and recognizing, because one of the other things that you've shared with us on a prior occasion, and maybe we could talk about this again uh, just after the break to remind folks of this uh, part of the finding of the State of the Bible um, study. So there are a lot of people test driving the Bible. That's the language you just used. There are a lot more people actually in the Bible um, than there were pre-COVID. Like people are test driving the Bible. And so right. one one thing that occurred to me here is, you know, I want people to not only be more engaged in Scripture, I want them to be more engaged in Scripture because of the way that it uh, illuminates the character of God and therefore, um, you know, works uh, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to bring me into greater conformity with the will of God. Like, right, I can I can know God more through Scripture. It reveals more about me and my need, um, my sin, and it it points in the direction of, hey, this is what a God person, a godly person, a holy person 
is like and is led to do. And that's what leads me to welcome immigrants to my community or befriend people of other races or befriend people of other religions or care for people who are in prison or care for the world that God has made and given us as a, a, a gift to steward the environment um, or to advocate for people who are oppressed. And, and you know, I want justice to flow. So it, the impact that I can then have as a scripture-engaged person with a person who's test-driving the Bible is to simply offer to read it with them. Like, so that would be on my list as a scripture-engaged person of something that I want to encourage everybody listening right now to consider. Who's, who do you know that's test-driving the Bible? And just offer to read it with them. Come alongside and read it with them. I'm thinking here of Philip running alongside the chariot, um, you know, encountering this man who had opened the Word of God, was interested and seeking, but did not know what he was reading. Um, and coming alongside him and helping him, you know, discover the God of all mercy and grace. We're going to continue our conversation with John Plake from uh, the American Bible Society. We are talking about State of the Bible 2021. It is a downloadable ebook you can find at stateofthebible.org. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with John Plake from the American Bible Society. You can find what we're talking about today at stateofthebible.org. Just a reminder that the American Bible Society has been around a long time. In 1816, uh, there was a group of people who said, you know what? Every person should have access to the Bible uh, in a language and format that they could understand and afford. So that's what the American Bible Society is busy doing today, advocating for all people to have access to the Bible and then to apply the Bible's teaching to life in a way that transforms our relationship not only with God but with others. And so we're looking at the sixth chapter of the State of the Bible 2021 report at stateofthebible.org, and we're talking about neighborliness. Um, so John, talk with us about civility. Uh, I think we are quick to recognize that civility is in, um, whew, it, it, well, we know it when we don't see it. Talk with us about um, the, the places and the people in which you saw civility in your report. Yes, yeah, civility is really an interesting concept. It's sort of the lowest bar of loving your neighbor. Um, and so we asked people about respect for certain occupations. We, we asked them, uh, do you have deep respect for any of these? So we listed firefighters and healthcare professionals and school teachers and members of the military. We threw in astronauts and delivery vehicle drivers. We've all been getting help from delivery vehicle drivers lately, police officers, uh, religious leaders, and government leaders. And overall, little surprise, firefighters, healthcare professionals, school teachers, those were the ones that kind of came out on top. Everybody had the highest respect for them. Down at the bottom, uh, those were police officers, religious leaders, and government leaders. And what was really interesting was uh, all of these people serve others in one way or another, but the greater the authority they had, the less likely Americans were to say they had deep respect for them. Uh, if they had the authority to make a decision that influenced my life or your life, uh, people were a little cooler to that whole idea. And so we looked at occupational respect by ethnicity. We, we did see in the case of police officers, for instance, that there's a lot of variability 
by ethnicity because not every community in America has the same relationship with police officers. And we've seen that in some of the social unrest that we've experienced in America. But overall, uh, overall, what we saw was the older people are, the more respect they tend to have for people in these occupations. But way beyond that, people who are engaged with God's word, who are deeply digging into scripture, they are more respectful of all of these uh, occupational groups than any other group of people. And so that was really heartening because I think scripture teaches us to take a different perspective, to try and take God's perspective on others. And uh, so, you know, it was encouraging just to see that as people dig into scripture, they kind of, their eyes are are lifted from their own circumstance or their own experience, and they're able to see with that different, perhaps more godly perspective. All right, John, because it's my job to um, be contrarian from time to time. I know there are people who are going to hear that finding and they're going to say to themselves, okay, that makes perfect sense to me because the Bible is designed to keep people where they are. And so uh, it does not, you know, it would not come as a surprise that people who have submitted to uh, God as an authority figure um, are also more willing to submit to authoritarian um, ideas and structures in the world. So I just know that I would be hearing that in some of my conversations um, if I were uh, if I were commenting on the correlation that you found between people who are scripture engaged and the respect that we have for police, religious and government leaders. Well, you know, I think it's something a little bit different than that. And so I would frame it in a different way. Um, I think what we notice in scripture, the message that scripture gives us is not so much that we submit to um, every authority regardless of whether it brings about justice or not. Authority is ordained by God. That's what Scripture tells us. But much, much more importantly than that, the delivery vehicle driver who brought you your Uber Eats, uh, whether you know him or her or not, they are created by God in the image of God and in many ways are our brother or our sister. And God has a purpose for them. And so I think a respect for all people, regardless of generation, is really the more important message here from Scripture, that God's called all of us to recognize that we are all under authority, and we will all one day answer to God. And as a consequence of that, um, you know, we need to recognize that God's called us to be in relationship with him and with other people. I, I was just kind of reflecting on Luke chapter two, uh, chapter 12, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the context of that is a religious leader, a really religious guy comes to Jesus and says, uh, what do I need to do to, you know, to be good with God? And his answer is, uh, well, what, is, what does scripture tell you? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And this really religious guy says, okay, uh, let's get into that. Who's my neighbor? You know, like, who do I have to love as myself? Mm -hmm. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, but I don't know if you've ever noticed, he turns the question around at the end. It's not, who's my neighbor? In other words, who do I owe respect to? Who do I owe care? Jesus asks this question, who was a neighbor to the man who was beaten and robbed? And so he turns the responsibility around and he says, no, it's not about who I owe something to. 
It's who will I generously give something to? That's really the call of Scripture. Not so much about authority, but because we've received grace, we give grace to others. So, John, that's so helpful. I think that reframing the questions that were asked in the culture, um, first of all, it, it takes our being totally saturated with the Word of God so that when somebody does press up against us and even uh, con- seek to confront us in, a, in an accusatory way, as I sought to do, right? Like, I sought to press you. Um, and what came out was the peace that passes all understanding. It's not like you were knocked off your feet. Um, you're centered in the Word of God. You had uh, an honest and generous response to the question. Um, you did not become defensive and you answered with scripture. And I think that that is demonstrating, I know it does, I know that that demonstrates to each of us and all of us how God desires we would respond when the world presses up against us in an accusatory way, because we are people who answer with scripture. Um, We are people who are cultivated in the word of God, and we are scripture engaged. And sometimes we become defensive about that in the culture, and we need not be defensive. Like the Bible... (laughs) The Bible doesn't really need defenders in the way that we think about it. It needs people who are um, are walking out the principles and the character of God and his kingdom in the world that he so loves. I couldn't agree more. I, I think the Bible is its own best defense. And many people have taken issue with Scripture. Um, perhaps they've met someone who called themselves a Christian but didn't act with much grace toward others in their community. And of course, Jesus encountered people like that as well. They took kind of a legalistic approach to the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible that were available to them uh, in their day. And they, they sought to kind of seek their own best advantage using scripture. And that's really never been the purpose of scripture. The purpose of scripture is to tell the story of God chasing after us, because he so wants to have a relationship with us. And when people deeply engage with God's word, two critical things happen. They have a reconciled relationship with God, and not everybody has a great relationship with God. And I know that. Some people think, you know, God's kind of out there and mean and angry at them. And and that's unfortunate, because that's not the story of Scripture. The second mm-hmm. thing that happens in people's lives is their relationships with others come to be healed. You, know, you can't love God without loving the people that he loves. And the more you interact with and serve others, I think for me, the more that drives me to know God, the more I know God, the more I want to interact with and serve others. And so that's the life of being a Christ follower, someone who's deeply embedded in Christian community and in God's word. John Plake, thank you so much for joining us. You can find uh, John at the American Bible Society. You can find the State of the Bible 2021 for six chapters at stateofthebible.org. If you missed any portion of this conversation, you can grab it later as a podcast at myfaithradio.com. And we have another hour of Mornings with Carmen coming up next. Where in the Word are you today? Let's get into the Word of God that the Word of God might get into us before we get out there into the world that God so loves, because we want to be out there in ways that honor Jesus. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.